listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, good morning, Northside. If we haven't had the opportunity uh, to meet before, my name is Kevin Punch. I'm the high school minister here at Northside. So you get the uh, B team today a little bit. Um, So thanks for showing me some grace just in that. But we have been in this series called More Jesus. And we are going through this series, uh, as it's really through the book of, Coloss- or the book of Colossians that was written by Paul uh, to several small house churches in the town of Colossae. And Paul learned about this community of faith actually from another follower of Jesus called Epaphras. And he wanted this church to understand this very simple yet deeply profound truth. There is no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. And as part of this letter, we've been coming face to face with the spiritual biography of Jesus. And this is the text that we're going to be situated in today. This is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And I want to encourage you, if you want to know who Jesus is, just spend some time dwelling in this passage of Scripture. You're going to discover that Jesus is the image of God. That means that he is the reflection of God to us on this earth You're going to discover that he is the exact representation of God to the world. You're going to discover that he is the firstborn over all of creation, meaning that in Jesus, he he has the supremacy over all of creation. But even more than that, he is the creator. He is the one who created the universe and created us. All things were made by him, for him, in him, and through him. In fact, as we were studying this passage in our uh, uh, adult life group a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the members of our life group, he, he said this, he said, it makes you think differently about people when you realize that they were created for Jesus. It makes you treat them differently, think about them differently, think of their purpose in this world even differently. Jesus was also the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first one to experience victory over sin and death. There is no one like Jesus. And today we're going to uncover another spiritual truth about Jesus as we go through the last part of this biography that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And here's what it is. Jesus is the reconciler of all things. Jesus is the one bringing everything together into harmony with one another. Jesus is the one that is actually bringing peace in our world and in our lives. Paul admits this. He, he kind of notes that there's a subtle unrest of peace, and yet Jesus is resolving it. Here's what he writes in Colossians chapter 1. This is verse 19. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. The fullness of God dwelled in Jesus, and he is the one reconciling him to himself all things. Now, I think we need to be clear with this. Paul is not saying everything has been reconciled. What he's saying is that through Jesus, everything will be reconciled and has already begun to be reconciled. Through other parts of scripture, we actually find that one day Jesus will return and he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. But until that happens, we live in a place that is not fully reconciled, which means it's not fully at peace. I don't have to do very much to convince you 
of this truth. It shouldn't come as to a shock to us that our world is broken. You know, in our world right now, it's reported that there are 32 countries at war. Now, some of these conflicts are within a country between rival governments. Some of these conflicts are between a government and a terrorist insurgency or maybe a drug cartel. Still others are wars actually between two countries themselves. And no matter what kind of war, they often leave a wake of destruction in their path. In fact, according to some reports that I have uh, recently come across, the war between Russia and Ukraine has become one of the bloodiest conflicts in in Europe since World War II. And it's left over 6 million people as refugees in other countries. Peace, I don't think that's a word we can use to describe our world. I don't think peace is a word that we can use to describe our society. It seems like no matter what topic you pick, people will be arguing or having very strong opinions about it. I mean, just take politics, for example. It's become so divisive in our country that one in five voters said that politics has hurt their friendships or their family relationships. It comes to race. Racial issues have become so volatile and divisive in our country that it's hard to have a meaningful conversation with someone uh, without it turning volatile. I teach on Sunday nights a uh, parent group, and our ninth grade students are going through a series called Christian Sexuality. And sex and gender have become some uh, very culturally explosive uh, items or things to talk about with students, but also with their parents, too. And more than once, I've described this, uh, this class that I lead uh, as going through a minefield and hoping that you don't step on something that just blows you up. Uh, because you said the wrong thing or the wrong word at the wrong time or someone hears something that you didn't say. It's difficult. Peace is not a word that I would use to describe our society. In fact, I would imagine that many of you would not use the word peace to describe what you feel personally today. Oftentimes when I ask people, hey, how are you doing? Just in casual conversation, I'll get a little snippet of something like, uh, well, it's been a busy time, which when you translate that is like, I'm at my wits end. I can't take any more. Please, someone save me. You know, like I just can't handle anymore. That's what that means. I wouldn't describe that as peace. Um, Some of you, if I were to sit down and talk, it's about the stress that you're feeling at work because you're chronically understaffed and you feel the pressure of that. But if we sit down just over a cup of coffee, I think um, some of the deeper troubles of your heart might start to emerge. You, You might say things like this. I'm just so lonely right now. I don't really have any close friends. You might say, I'm really struggling with my depression and it's just so hard to wake up in the morning. You might say, I just can't control it. I'm so addicted. You might say something like, I'm I'm so fed up with my family. I I just, the the tension is so rough. You might say, "You, you don't know what has happened to me. You don't know my past and the trauma that I've experienced. You might say, I just... I just don't know what to do in this moment. And I imagine that many of us would actually benefit from experiencing peace in our own lives. Our world desperately needs peace. Our society desperately needs peace. And we ourselves, our hearts are longing for peace. So what's the answer? Here's the crazy thing. Paul tells us in this passage. 
And it comes across as a very simplistic answer. So let's read it again. It says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How? By making peace through the blood of the cross of Jesus. Jesus is the one who's reconciling to himself all things, and he is making peace through his blood on the cross. So how is everything going to be reconciled? How is peace going to enter us and our society and our world? Well, it's through Jesus. And this sounds way too simplistic. In fact, I remember going to Sunday school as a kid, and my church growing up was a lot smaller. And so in Sunday school, there's like six of us in multiple grades that would sit in this, around a little table. We'd have a little Sunday school teacher that would come in and teach us lessons during that time. And there were times when I, as a kid, would just zone out. And I would hear the teacher doing the wah, 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 wah. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I felt that just a few minutes ago, Kevin. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I would do that. And then the teacher, I think she would notice that I was zoning out. And so she would say, Kevin, what do you think about this? And I learned pretty quickly early on that if you give one of three answers, you're probably right. If you say Jesus, God, or the Bible, all right, that answers whatever question that teacher was probably saying to you. And so I would say Jesus, God, or the Bible, just kind of pick. And she'd be like, that's correct. Kind of annoyed by it in some ways. And then uh, kind of move on with the lesson. And I, I think Paul's answer for how we experience peace, it comes across in that way. It's just so simplistic, yet it's right. And the more that you dive into who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross and how he's reconciling everything to himself, what you're going to find is that this is simple, but it's profound and it's moving and it's personal. See, Paul dives into what he means by this, by Jesus making peace on the cross. And he doesn't do it by making it an interesting theological point. He does it by getting personal with his church in Colossae and personal with me and with you today. And here's what he says. He says, In you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The reason we struggle with peace in our world, the reason we can't find peace in our society, the reason we can't find peace even within ourselves is because of our own brokenness. It's our own sin. And Paul is giving us a pretty grim description of what we look like without Jesus. In fact, he says, once you were alienated. That word can also be used to describe a foreigner or someone who's separate from their their culture or where they're supposed to be. And so you are separate from God because of your sin. Not that God pulls away from us, but that we chose to live a life without him. We chose to sin and leave God. Jesus tells a a story about this. He illustrates it, actually, in Luke chapter 15. And it's a story that we we tend to call the story of the prodigal son or the story of the younger son. And in this story, Jesus is kind of describing the relationship that we have with God. 
And he describes God as a father, and he describes us as a younger son. And in this story, the younger son goes up to his father, and basically, here's what he says. He says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want the money that's going to come when you die. I want my inheritance. Now, I don't know about you, but if my son came up to me and said those words in earnestness, I would, so many thoughts would be going in my head in that moment about, I can't believe you. How dare you do this? You're so entitled. And, you know, all this kind of stuff would come in my mind in that moment. But what's so surprising about the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is that the father actually does it. He actually lets his son go, but he actually gives his son the inheritance. So think about what that would mean if that was a real-life story today. It means selling your property. It means dividing your bank accounts, cashing out different things, and giving that to your child, knowing that they are going to head on a life of destruction. That is what God has done for us. He loves us so much that he lets us willingly go. Now, we know that the father did not have bitterness in his heart towards his son because his son hits a real low point in life and actually turns and says, how much better was it when I was in my father's house? And he comes home and he actually rehearses this whole speech about how maybe I can be a servant uh, to my father. And so he starts to give this speech when he sees his father, but his father just says, son, you're home. You're dead and now you're alive again. And so he's, let's celebrate. And so we know that the father doesn't end up with this bitterness towards his son, but he actually lets him go. And even though God loves us and he knows where our sin is going to lead us, he lets us go. And all of us have ended up alienated or separating ourselves from God because of our sin. Paul says you're hostile in your mind. Another way this phrase could be translated is actually you're an enemy in your mind towards God. Without Jesus, you're an enemy of God. Now, I doubt many of us would include that in a description of ourselves when we meet somebody. Like, hi, I'm Kevin. I'm an enemy of God. You know, but, but there's a sense in which Paul's saying, don't forget who you used to be without Jesus. You were an enemy of God. Michael DeFazio, in his book, More Jesus, kind of details this out. He says, the way our mind works, how we process information and experiences, has settled into a pattern that not only rejects God, but runs defiantly in the opposite direction. We, like a toddler who stares at mom through an act of disobedience, as if to say, you see this? Yeah, that's right. I have my own will. I'm exercising it. Or more hideously, a teenager who gives his father the finger before driving off in dad's car towards all manner of destructive activity. That is a description of our minds, of who we are towards God. He goes on to say that you are a doer of evil deeds. It shouldn't surprise us that if we're separate from God, if our mind is geared towards actually hostility towards God, then our deeds are not far behind. In fact, another word that you can use for this word evil is wicked. That you have had wicked actions. Because of sin entering the world, all of us are broken. And our desires are actually broken that pull us into these evil deeds. I know what it's like to struggle with this. Because over the last couple of years, I've come to learn that there are certain foods that I should eat. 
and certain foods that I should not eat because of the negative effect that they actually have on my body. And oftentimes I find myself at a youth mystery event or a, uh, you know, even over at someone's house or maybe uh, just by chance in the office and someone has brought this giant box of donuts fresh from St. George's and they're just wafting over the whole office. And I sit in there and I just smell them and I come out and what do I do? I know this is bad for me, but what do I do? I'm like, well, I mean, just, a, I'll just, I'll just do a little corner. So I get a little knife and I'm like, just a little, just a little half piece right here, a little corner. And so I pop it in my mouth and I'm like, that was really good. <laughs> and so I go and sit down. I'm like, I'm going to go back and get another little piece. And I walk by and I cut a little piece off. And then before I know it, I've had like four donuts in one day, just sitting there. I find myself doing the very thing I don't want to do. And so often, because we have brokenness inside of us, because our desires are broken, you probably find yourself doing the very things that you do not want to do. Things like, we yell at our kids when you don't want to yell. You don't want that kind of household, yet you find yourself doing it. You keep going back to a substance when you know where it is going to lead you and you know the relationships that you're actually hurting in your life. You gossip to feel important when you know it will erode the trust that people have actually placed in you. You hurt people to get even, even when it really won't do anything to make you better or make the situation better. You let pride keep you from asking for help or helping others. Sin has left us in this place of brokenness where even our desires are pulling us into it. We are alienated from God. We are hostile in our mind towards God, and our evil deeds prove it. Now, if you are new to Christianity, this is really hard news to hear, that you are at odds with God. And I think it's important to realize that you're not the only one. All of us come to God in the same way, broken, in need of a healer, a sinner, in need of a savior. In fact, a few weeks ago, I had a student that was uh, kind of walked down the hallway. Uh, she, she came to main service with some adults and they said, hey, why don't we go meet our high school minister? Because she didn't quite feel comfortable coming to our high school ministry. And so they kind of walked her down the hallway to just introduce uh, her to me. And so we kind of had some casual conversation, just what sports you involved in? What, what things do you like in school? Uh, where do you go to school? Oh, there's some people that go to school here. I'd love to introduce you to them at some point in time. And as we're kind of wrapping up the conversation, I was telling her how she could get involved in our high school ministry. I said, you know, we do a Sunday morning service at 9 and at 10.30 for high school students. I'd love to have you be there as part of that. But also on Sunday nights from 5.30 to 7.30, we do this thing called life groups that are the grade-based and gender-based groups of our ministry. So that's where you get to be known and where you get to know other people and follow Jesus together. And then she said, well, can I ask you just one question? And I'm like, always, always ask me a question. She goes, I just want to know are there people here like me? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? She said, I just, I just want to know, are there people here who are not perfect, that don't have their life all together? And on the inside, I kind of chuckled, and I said, absolutely. There are a lot of messed up people at Northside. <laughs> I said, let me point out a few to you right now. <laughs> oh. Oh. 
in that moment, I wish, here's what I wish I would have said, looking back on that conversation. I wish I would have said, oh, I'm messed up too. I'm in need of a savior. I am so broken and I need Jesus. This description that Paul gives us is not meant to apply to someone else. Man, it's so easy to think of, oh, they're an enemy of God. Oh, they're hostile in their mind towards God. But Paul is writing to a church. And I think sometimes we forget that. He's writing to Christians to say, I think it's important to remember where you came from, who you used to be without Jesus. And so Paul goes on to describe what Jesus has done for us. And the more I dwell on who I used to be and who I become through Jesus, I can just tell you the more humble I've become and the more grateful for the cross that I have become. And so he goes on to describe, but now because of Jesus, you are reconciled to Jesus and to God. When I think of the word reconcile, my mind immediately goes to our family budget. That tells you how much of a nerd I am. Uh, And anyone on staff will affirm that for you. Um, But my mind immediately goes there. We we use a budgeting software called uh, You Need a Budget, or YNAB for short. And with this particular software, the way it works is you take your income for the month and you budget it all out into all these little categories that you're going to spend your money on. And then as you spend money, you categorize it. And then at the end of the month, you do what's called reconciling the budget, where you take the budget and you take your bank account and you see if they match. And if everyone follows the plan for the month, it works great. But sometimes there are people in your family that don't follow the plan for how they're supposed to spend money. Let me give you a hypothetical example. (laughs) Some mornings I wake up and I don't give myself quite enough time to eat breakfast. And so I grab a cup of coffee say goodbye to everybody, and head out the front door. And as I'm driving, there's this one particular restaurant that has these breakfast sandwiches that are delicious. <laughs> and it's in that moment that I see the sign and I think, oh, I am hungry. I need some breakfast. And so I pull over, go through the drive through get my sandwich, eat, and all that kind of stuff. And everything's good and great until the end of the month when you sit down and you reconcile the counts and you realize... I've spent money that I didn't have in that budget category. (laughs) All of our eating out money is absolutely gone. So in other words, there's a debt that has to be covered. And when it comes to our relationship with God, there is a debt that we cannot pay back. It is the debt of sin. And when we come to Jesus, I'm so thankful that he chose to reconcile our account. That he paid for our debt in full on the cross. In Paul's words, he says, he made peace between us and God by his blood on the cross. So now we are no longer alienated between us and God. We're no longer separate. In fact, God uses other words to describe us like friend and saint. And he says, you have been made new in Jesus. And so when we come to Jesus, we actually become close with God again. In fact, there's a really unique uh, passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that is uh, kind of fun, if you're a nerd like me, to compare and contrast with what says in Colossians uh, 1 right here. And so I just want to show you what he says. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. He says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. In God's ledger book, you're no longer in debt, in other words. The debt has been paid in full because of the cross of Jesus. But also because of the cross, you are presented as holy before God. It's through the work of the cross that Jesus forgives our sins. It means that we stand before God, not as a sinner in need of judgment, but rather as a saint without sin. Now, one year at camp, we had a speaker. His name was Nathan. And Nathan lived on a a farm. And he had this little dog named Whitey. And I've always remembered him telling this story because I think it's such a good example. But this little border collar dog that had some gray and white fur in him would travel with Nathan whenever he would go to feed the animals. And so one particular day, he goes out and he's dumping out the grain in the trough for the horses, checking on his animals. And his dog, Whitey, just kind of bounds up over the ridge and kind of disappears. And sure enough, Nathan, you know, this was not unusual for Whitey to do just to explore as a dog. And Nathan gets in his car and realizes Whitey's not with him. So he hollers out the window, hey, Whitey, 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 you know. And sure enough, Whitey comes up, tongue hanging out (laughs) over the hill, down. And as he gets closer, Nathan realizes, oh, no, there's something all over Whitey. And as he gets a little bit closer, he smells it. And it smells awful. And after some investigation, Nathan realized that Whitey had rolled in a dead possum carcass. Mm. That is just all kinds of gross. Now, if you're Nathan, you're not letting that dog in your house. You're not letting that dog up on your couch. That dog's not sleeping with you in that kind of condition. And so Nathan did what any owner of a dog who loves their dog would do. He did the work to clean him up. He grabbed the garden hose, he grabbed the soap, and he started scrubbing him. Well, on the cross, Jesus did the work to present us as holy to God. So we stand before God as holy. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, made Jesus, who had uh, no sin... Uh, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus took on the sin of humanity on the cross so that we could be made right before God. Because of the cross, you are also above reproach, is what Paul reminds us of today. Other translations will use the phrase, um, you are free from accusation. No one is accusing you anymore, in other words. You know, several years ago, I asked Zeb Myers. Uh, he's a Northside attender for, for many years. And I asked Zeb uh, to kind of come and film his story for our students. Uh, I wanted to present it to our students to just give a little bit of a background of how Jesus dramatically changes people's lives. Uh, Zeb would say himself that when he was younger, he pursued a life of sin. And it really led him into some really dark places. And it wasn't until Jesus got a hold of his life that he started to change and experience the credible life change that Jesus actually brings. And so we filmed Zeb's story. And afterwards, I'll never forget what he told me in that moment. Because I said, Zeb, I just thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. I know it's hard to talk about because there's a lot of scars from the past in your life. But I know God's going to use this in the lives of students. 
And Zeb said, you know, when I share my story, the enemy brings up the pain and the guilt and the embarrassment from my past. He said, I have to remind myself that all that shame and all that guilt and all that embarrassment was taken at the foot of the cross. That I don't have to carry that anymore. Those voices that were speaking to me saying, you're not good enough or, or, or you can't measure up or you're never good enough for God are not there anymore because Jesus has saved me. There's no more accusations against me. When you accept what Jesus has done for you, you stand before God free of accusation. This is so powerful. Because there are some of you in this room right now who believe in Jesus. You've repented of your sin. You've been baptized in his name. So you are a follower of Jesus, yet you still hear these voices in your head condemning you. Reminding you of your guilt and your shame and your mistakes. And I want you to know today that the voices that you hear in saying that you're not good enough for God, they're not from God. In fact, Jesus is speaking different words over you. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Man, some of you need to let these words dwell in your heart this week because you've been living with shame and guilt and embarrassment and just struggling. And I want you to know that because of Jesus, you can leave all that at the foot of the cross. There is no one like Jesus. He is the only one that makes peace in this world through reconciling us to God through the cross. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you and I want to encourage you to actually respond in the same way that Paul encourages the Corinthian church to respond. Here's what he says. It's very simple. Be reconciled to God. Choose to take the step to say, okay, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to respond to what you've done. And this isn't under your own will or effort. Jesus died on the cross for you. It is his work. And the way that you're reconciled is by accepting the gift that he is freely offering you. And you do this when you believe in him, repent of your sin, and you are baptized in his name. And so if you're watching online right now, I want to encourage you to accept what Jesus has done for you. And we as ministers in this church want to walk with you through this journey. And so feel free to text DECISION to 417-233-1200 if you're watching online right now. And we want to be in touch with you to help you take that step of faith. If you're worshiping in person, we want to invite you just through these doors right over here at Decision Point. We're going to take communion, and then we're going to stand and worship. And when we stand and worship, you're welcome to just come through those doors. And honestly, if it's too intimidating for you to walk down front here, just walk out back and take the long road all the way around. Because I would love to meet you over there and help you uh, follow Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to end with Paul's words as a reminder to center your life on the gospel. Because Paul says, this is who you were, this is who you are, and then he gives this key two-letter word, if. This is who you were, this is who you are in Jesus, and then he says, if. In fact, Colossians 1.23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, 
This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I don't think Paul's intention in writing this is for us to be fearful of losing our salvation. I think Paul is writing this as a warning to not let anything else come in and take the place of Jesus as the center of our lives. It is so easy for us to listen to different voices in this world, whether they're podcasts, political pundits, preachers' voices, and to let that overshadow our relationship in the gospel of Jesus. In fact, I was reminded uh, as I was writing this of something that happened earlier in my life. I was in college at the time, and I went to a college conference. Uh, It was a a gathering of several campus ministries that was on a, a different college campus. And as we got together, there was a guy named Roy Weiss who was there, and I had heard all kinds of stories about him. And so I decided I wanted to go in and sit in on his class. And as I sat in on his class, you know, I was just impressed with his knowledge and, and his heart for the Lord. And so afterwards, I went up to him, and I admit that I was trying to impress him slightly. I wanted to have this cool theological conversation with him, right? And so I, I said, Roy, can I have a moment of your time? And he's like, sure. And I said, have you ever read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, which is this real heady kind of theological book? And, and he kind of chuckled and he said, nope, I never have. But I've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are pretty good about following Jesus. <laughs> it's just a good reminder that what we need is more Jesus. We need more. We can't settle for the simplistic answers. We've got to dive deeper. We've got to understand Jesus more. We can't let voices overshadow who Jesus is or lose the centrality of the gospel because that is who we are as Christians, is that Jesus died on the cross for us, and it's through his sacrifice that we are made right with him. And so now Jesus has given you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the responsibility to share this message with the world. And there are so many ways that you can do this. I know that's overwhelming, even as I say it to myself. But it starts in the very simple process of just understanding how to share in the first place. And we at Northside have been on a journey of making disciples who make disciples and develop some classes that help people actually take an active part in this ministry of reconciliation, of sharing the gospel with other people. And I would encourage you, next week we have what's called uh, our discipleship classes, October 8th. They're in the afternoon, and I would encourage you to take Disciple 1, which will help you, give you tools to very simply share this gospel with other people. Another way we can share the message of Jesus is through our generosity. When you give to the ministry of Northside, you are helping people know and follow Jesus. And your offerings, I I wish that you could see the impact of your giving. There are kids downstairs in our building that have no other voice of God's love in their life than when they come here on a Sunday morning. There are people who come for Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights who are finding victory from deep-seated addictions in their life. There are women who come here on Wednesday nights and find themselves unexpectedly pregnant, and they find a community of grace that wants to love on them and care for them and their expectant baby. And if you're not a regular giver to Northside, I want to invite you just to partner with us as we share this message with the world that Jesus offers forgiveness through the cross and he makes peace Not only between us and God, but he brings peace to this world. 
Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.